0: Hi there, and welcome to the LGBTQ STEMcast, a podcast where we interview LGBTQ scientists from different STEM fields from all over the world. I'm your host, Annabelle Gong, and in today's episode, we will be chatting with Riley Yates. Riley is a master's student at the University of Florida studying medical and veterinary forensics. Join us as we talk about medical forensics, entomology, and living a real life lesbian movie. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Riley. Welcome to the show. Before we get started, how about you give us a little introduction about yourself?
1: Well, thank you so much for inviting me onto this. I'm so excited. So my name is Riley Yates. I am a master's student at the University of Florida, working under Dr. Jason Bird in the medical forensics side of things. I graduated from Oklahoma State University in 2020, with a degree in entomology, and now I work at an animal shelter as a care technician, and I am a graduate student employee in Dr. Bird's lab. Awesome. And what exactly is medical
0: forensics? I've not quite heard of it before.
1: So medical forensics is the Idea of any kind of like death related evidence. So, like your blood, your tissue, you know, all the great things that involve DNA, all the great things that involve decomposition, those kind of things. So, most of what I do is in death investigations. I am currently working with Dr. Bird so that I can kind of tag team my master's thesis with getting a graduate certificate in veterinary forensics as well. So not only do I want to work on the people side of things, but also on the animal evidence side of things. So it's very similar to like the CSI kind of idea in your head of like, when you think of crime scene investigation, but more on the technical side. So instead of being the person who wants to go through like maybe the psychology of who it is or be a detective or anything like that, I want to be boots on the ground, looking through decomposing, nasty, gross, all the fun things to try and figure out who it is, what happened to them, and give the most accurate information for the family and for any law enforcement that could be involved. So that's humans and animals. Wow, that's super cool. Thank you. I (laughs) I have no idea even how to describe it sometimes because I'm like wanting to give like a Really broad, all encompassing definition of what it is because it's so interesting and it's such a diverse field. But at the same time, I want to like go immediately into what I do and what I'm so passionate about. So it's so hard to find that balance of when it's just, what is it? No one's heard of it. So it's like, okay, well, I can do like death investigation stuff. When I graduate, I could move on to a PhD and I could do something more specific. Like I'm really into entomology, obviously, because I graduated with my undergraduate degree in entomology. And so being able to be a forensic entomologist, like that's a stepping stone for that. But at the same time, I could immediately go work for a coroner's office or a medical examiner's office and help with death investigation. But then I'm super passionate about animal related <laughs> evidence. So I always want to jump in, throw that one in there. So yeah, it's a pretty wild field, but I'm really passionate about it. And I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah. What is forensic entomology? I don't think I've even heard those
1: two words together <laughs> before. <laughs> So um, breaking it down uh, just by what the words are entomology, as a lot of people know, is the study of insects. And so then when we tack forensics onto the beginning of that, that's just the application of insects and non-insect arthropods on the law enforcement, civil and criminal cases. So you have different branches of forensic entomology. You can be an urban forensic entomologist, like you have supposedly an apartment building sprayed for bugs and then the next week a giant thing of cockroaches comes out of the apartment building and they want to sue. So who do they call? They call a forensic entomologist to come and collect the evidence to look at what's going on. Was it they missed a spot when they sprayed? Did the spray not work? What was going on? Those kind of things. So that can be brought into a civil investigation. And then you have stored product pests entomology. So a forensic entomologist could be called in to see if like somewhere where they're storing grain for cereal suddenly has all of these insects in it. They're having all these problems here. The forensic entomologist can come in, find the source of where that's coming from. Is it with the stored grain? Is it with the cereal once it's made? Is it with the storage facility where they're holding it before it goes to the retailer, that sort of thing. But the side of forensic entomology that I do, that I feel is probably the most well-known side of it, is using insects to determine or to estimate the post-mortem interval of decomposing remains. So we have an understanding of the life cycle of insects and their succession on decomposing remains through the science that we have done for hundreds of years So we're able to go to a scene where there has been remains maybe for a couple days to a couple months and be able to look at the age of the insects along with the species of the insects that they are um, and then work backwards to get an estimation for how long that those remains have been exposed to insect activity.
0: Whoa, that's so cool.
1: And so you're Current
0: research right now, like in your grad program, is doing that kind of stuff then?
1: Yes. So currently I am starting my master's thesis and we are going to be looking at a specific family of flies that are currently known to be involved with forensic decomposition. They're a fly that comes... Um, It's the family sarcophagidae. They're really common in indoor decomposition settings. They're some of the first flies to come to remains that are indoors, which is really big because a lot of times when you have a human being that hasn't been found for a few days, they're in their home, they're in a building somewhere covered away from the elements a little bit. So that's Always important to be able to know and understand how insects uh, react in those kinds of situations because they are different than if it's an insect just finding a body that's been in a field or something similar to that. So um, I am looking at this family of flies, I'm going to try and determine which one is the most abundant here in this area, and then hopefully be able to do some decomposition studies where I can see the species that I'm able to get that are most common here in the area, and then do a developmental study to be able to determine how long under certain temperatures they take to reach developmental milestones so that that research can then be used by entomologists in the field who can work backwards and determine how long uh, remains have been there wow that
0: that is just so cool I yeah mind blown at how like useful I guess insects can be for forensic investigation like that I had never actually heard of this kind of research until you came along so it's awesome that we can have you on the show and talk about these really cool things but how does I, one even get to where you are now like what kind of experience did you have like How did you even find out about it, I guess? I have a lot of questions.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I have a very self-proclaimed bad mom who exposed me to crime shows at a really young age. (laughs) So from the time that I was like seven years old, I was like binge watching Forensic Files. It was like my favorite TV show I always used to say when I was little I wanted to grow up and be Callie Duquesne from CSI Miami which is not an actual position which I was very sad to find out in high school (laughs) you can't actually be like the super bad A cop that gets to do all the science and all the field work and all the investigating it's like that's like eight careers in one but I found my most favorite part of it and focused on that. But initially, when I was in high school and early college, I had my heart set on becoming a veterinarian. If I wasn't playing CSI, I was playing veterinarian with my dogs at home, and I have always wanted to go to vet school. So I really focused my career path starting in high school of that was the direction I wanted to go. I did tons of research. I went to all of the like summer camps to help you get started and to help you prepare for college life and eventually going to vet school. And I was so anxious and having all sorts of mental health problems associated with my dream to go into a field that's so competitive. And I was so nervous about how I was going to do it, if I was going to be good enough, those kind of things. And along that path of trying to figure out how I was going to make it and get into eventually veterinary school. I visited Oklahoma State, which has an amazing veterinary science program. So it was from the beginning, I was gonna be an animal science major. I was going to be on the pre-veterinary track. I was going to get into vet school. And I was going to stay at Oklahoma state. That was my path. No one was going to stray me from it. A lot of people were like, Oh, that's really hard. Are you sure that's what you want to do? And I was like, why would you say that to me? That's so rude. Like (laughs) I can do whatever I want and you're not going to stop me. And through that, I was in a freshman dorm that was only for people who were in the college of ag. It was like a living learning community. And they made us do all of these like getting to know your campus and like all these different things to help us like get prepared and looking back it was super helpful because moving in grad school without all of those things I'm like god I wish I had something I had to be at but also like pandemic but like I wish I had something where I like had to interact with people and like had to make friends because I had no idea how helpful that was as a freshman in college I was like this is so lame like I don't want to be here I want to do my own thing but like whoa, hindsight's twenty twenty. That was super helpful. So I had to go to this majors fair, which really made me angry because I already knew my major. I had known my major since forever. I had always wanted to go to vet school. I always wanted to be an animal science major. And so having to go to this majors fair just seemed useless to me. And I walk in and the very first table that's there is the entomology department. And they had a live insect zoo at this recruiting event, whoa. which kudos to them and they're like whoever's on PR marketing for them that's genius and I immediately walk up to this professor because he's holding this giant green looks like a leaf but it's moving it's wild it's a jungle nymph for anybody who wants to look up what it looks like they're super can I can I cuss can I say it's badass oh yeah you can totally cuss (laughs) okay (laughs) it's they're amazing and He's holding this jungle nymph, and I'm like, What is this? Oh my God, this is amazing. Tell me all about it. So, suddenly, all the reason why I'm here just goes out the door. And I'm like, Okay, this is awesome. Regardless of what happens, I get to hold this super cool bug, right? So, I am talking to him. Next thing I know, I have an appointment to get a minor in entomology in his office the next day. I don't even really remember what happened during the conversation. I have a picture that my friend took of me holding this jungle nymph and it's just hilarious because it's like, that's the moment that I became an entomologist and like, I didn't know it at the time. And so it was super cool that I was going to go in and get a minor because I was like, that'll look great on a vet school application, right? Entomology is super important. You got like fleas and ticks and you have like intestinal worms, which like half of those aren't even insects, but whatever, we'd talk about them in entomology. And the meeting went so well, I walked out of there with a double major. So somehow he had convinced me to double major in animal science and entomology. And when he was talking about all the things that you could do with an entomology career, he mentioned forensic entomology. And I was like, you know what? Out of my two favorite things to do, it's be a vet and forensics. If I could do both of those, that's amazing. I would love to do that. So... Long story short, I end up with a double major. I am on Pinterest one day and I find an article called So You Want to Be a Forensic Veterinarian. On Pinterest? Excuse me. (laughs) Yes, on Pinterest. I had a Pinterest board about my love of insects and all these cool, like, Microphotography pictures of bugs and I had a like what my dream that clinic would look like Pinterest board and Pinterest just put those two things together I guess and popped this <laughs> article up for me I'm also a big nerd and love to like research articles and like blog posts from like cool people things like that it was just all of my interests honestly Pinterest that algorithm was too good and it popped up so you want to be a forensic veterinarian and I literally started crying I called my mom and was like I found my dream job Like, who knew this was a career like if I hadn't stumbled upon this article like I would not be the person that I am today, because it literally showed me a field that I didn't even know existed. And so I read through the article, it was like you would make a good forensic scientist if you have like good public speaking skills, Um, having a background in theater is helpful. I did community theater for over 10 years. So seeing that was even like, what the heck is this like made for me? Did I work my entire life for a career I didn't even know existed? It was like the weirdest moment of like, I'm literally reading it to my mom and sobbing. Like, how is this so perfect for me? And by the end of it, it had signed who adapted the article from another article called, So You Want to Be a Forensic Scientist. And the author of the article, um, Dr. Smith Blackmore was a forensic scientist in Boston, Massachusetts. She was veterinary forensic in Boston. And so I was like, okay, I have to contact her. I have to figure out what she does. I have to work for her. I have to do something. So I sent her an email and I was like, hi, I am a, I think I was a sophomore at OSU. And I told her about everything I was doing, everything I was interested in, how I had read her article and how it was literally my dream job. And I didn't even know it existed. And the next thing I know, she sent me an email back that said, I don't take interns. Thank you though. Uh, (laughs) I I was like, (laughs) I was like crushed because I was like, no, this is my dream job. So I sent her an email back. And I was like, "Um, well, here's my resume anyway. (laughs) I think I could be really helpful for you. It's definitely something that I'm very interested in. Please consider it. And she wrote back and was like, okay, but my reputation is extremely important to me. And I want to be sure that you are the type of person who's going to mesh really well with me, who's going to be able to look presentable. If you're going to be in this with me, you have to be in this for everything that I do. So that was as a shelter veterinarian, as a forensic veterinarian going to court cases when she would do necropsies. She's like, you have to be comfortable going from digging up things in the dirt all the way through walking into a courtroom because she's gonna testify and I'm with her on that, talking to attorneys and things like that. So it was this like wide array of things that I had to be prepared for to work for her and then she called me and and did like a little interview over the phone and I had given her everything that she wanted I gave her some letters of recommendation some information that she could call them she called my letters of recommendation and asked them if I was the kind of person who would drive her up a tree and they all were like what And they thought that that was super funny because they were like, this is the craziest, most informal thing I've ever heard. Like, she really just wants to know if, like, this girl's going to drive her nuts. And (laughs) so all of my letters of recommendation were super, super helpful. And they were very kind and, and said wonderful things about me. So they were like, she's fine on all those departments. She can do anything that you're looking for. She's a real hard worker. And she emailed me back and was like, okay, can you be in Boston for eight weeks this summer? And I was like, yeah, I'll figure it out. So I made a t-shirt that had the CSI lettering with like a paw print behind it on like a little frocket tee. And then on the back, it had like the definition of veterinary forensic science and like the second part of the definition was the subject of Riley's internship 2018. And I sold those and I sold enough of them to friends and family, plus I had some very generous donations from some very uh, kind family and friends that helped me travel to Boston and then stay with one of the vet techs that she had worked with. So I was able to live and stay in Boston for eight weeks during that internship, and I just knew the minute that I started working for her, I mean, within the first 24 hours, we had our first case that we were working. And I was just in awe of everything that she did and working for her was absolutely amazing. And by the end of it, I was like, how do I do what you do full-time? Because she was a shelter veterinarian part-time and then a forensic veterinarian at her own forensic consulting firm. And it was just amazing to see everything that she did every day but I wanted to do the forensic side full time and she had said you probably don't go to vet school and that was really hard to hear because for forever I had wanted to go to vet school she was very helpful in saying like and it's a lot of money i mean it's you have to be invested in the veterinarian side of it you have to work as a veterinarian if you go through all that school and pay all that money and and work that hard and I I understood that and so I was like okay what can I do to do the forensic side full-time and she said I need you to talk to Dr. Jason Bird he was on a board of directors with her for the International Veterinary Forensics Association. And I knew him because he wrote the forensic entomology textbook that we used at OSU. So I was like starstruck when she was like, oh, talk to my friend, Jason. I was like, what the heck? (laughs) So I sent him an email and was just like, hi, I... I'm really interested in veterinary forensics. And I want to do something like that full time. What do I do? Where do I go? And he gave me a call. And so I kind of walked him through what I was interested in. And he was like, Okay, okay, I think this would be a really good field for you. I think this would be a good program for you. The University of Florida has a online program where you can get your master's degree in veterinary forensics. But I think for you, you should go into medical forensics and then we'll do a graduate certificate in veterinary forensics. So then when he said, if I was hiring somebody and I saw veterinary forensics, I would think that maybe that field's a little too narrow and I wouldn't want to limit you. If I was looking for a veterinary forensic scientist and someone had a medical forensics and then an, extra graduate certificate in veterinary forensics I'd be like oh that works that's qualification but if I was working in humans and I saw veterinary I might be a little like hmm I don't know maybe the medical forensics wins on this one so he was like just to keep your options open you're not a veterinarian like you could very easily go into that field still but you're not limited to it that kind of thing so I was like okay absolutely so I did everything he said. I applied, got into the University of Florida, and he had offered me a position in his lab. So that required me to move to Gainesville so that I could work for him in his lab while taking these classes online. So yeah, I that's how I got here. That's my weird, long, convoluted twisting way of ending up in this program and I knew that this field was something that was going to change my life from the moment that I saw it and it has it definitely has that is so awesome that like two of your biggest
0: passions just like melded together into this one big passion and now
1: you're like doing it I think that's so cool And I'm right at the forefront of it, which is so amazing. Like up until 2017, crimes against animals were considered a crime against property. So now the FBI is monitoring crimes against animals as a crime against society. So it's being recorded every time a report is made, not just when an arrest is made. So we're right at the forefront of these national and international law enforcement agencies noticing how important animal crimes are in relation to other crimes. So it's just making veterinary forensics even more important. So like coming into the field right now is so amazing because it's going to be so much bigger than it even is right now. And more law enforcement agencies are starting to recognize that this is an important aspect of understanding crimes because crime doesn't happen in a bubble. It's not something where you commit one crime and you never commit another crime again, most of the time most of your big time criminals are doing a few things at one time. So while a large narcotics dealer might be really, really careful with all of their books and their communication and who they let in on their secret drug enterprise, you have their hobby, which is dog fighting that they don't care there. It's a hobby for them. It's just something they do for fun on the weekends with their buddies. And if you can get them charges on animal cruelty for that, you now have your ticket in to everything that they're doing on the other side of that criminal enterprise. And so it's really interesting way of not just helping the animals that are being harmed, but helping people in those situations as well. They're also finding it's extremely common for child domestic and elder abuse to be in conjunction with animal abuse. And while someone may call because a dog was left outside without food for a few days, they might not call if they see someone being abused by their partner because they oh it's a it's a marriage thing I don't want to get into it or I mean during the pandemic even it's extremely hard for teachers doctors those kind of things to have access to those people who may be in danger and no one knows it because they're inside their home but if an animal control officer is able to go there because the dog was being harmed they can get help for the people in those situations as well so that's something that It was how I knew that what I was doing is so much bigger than just my love for animals and my want and drive to help animals. I was going to be helping people in those situations as well.
0: That's really cool that everything is so connected and it's really cool that you get to do like all of it now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I have a hard time narrowing my focus because I want to just help everybody and everything. And one of the great resources that has a lot more information on that is the link coalition where they talk about the ties between violence against animals and violence against people
0: wow okay so yeah so you said that you started graduate school in florida which is a little bit far from where you are now how was that with the start of the pandemic you know making
1: friends finding community (laughs) stuff like that Yeah, I was very nervous about it, especially with the pandemic. I left my final semester at Oklahoma State for spring break and I never went back, which was really heartbreaking. I never thought I would have to spend my last semester of college at home with my parents, but (laughs) it was definitely a sacrifice I was very grateful to be able to make, to be in a situation where I was able to stay home and help as many people as I could during such a difficult time. But for someone like me, who's very outgoing, very social, it was a struggle. I was very nervous. Like I said, looking back at those different programs that they did for us as freshmen in college, I had no idea how grateful I should have been for those programs because I walked into my first chemistry class and I knew three people. So I had someone to sit with my first day of chemistry and that was right before lunch. I walked with them to the union and we ate lunch together and then we walked back to our dorms together. And it was like knowing those people from the moment that I walked in made that place feel so much like home from day one. So I knew I wanted to find people who were going to be here in Gainesville, where I could make friends, I could have those connections, and I could as safely as possible with social distancing protocols have friends where I'm from, you know, like where I am, because everybody that I knew, for the past four years, either lived in Oklahoma or Texas, So I was originally from Texas. And so when I went up to Oklahoma, I was super nervous, I wasn't going to know anybody up there. I made a bunch of friends really fast. Well, now I'm moving to Florida. It's a thousand miles away from the next person that I know. And I am just at a loss. How am I going to make friends? How am I going to do anything, really? So one of my really good friends, who was a graduate student in the entomology department at OSU, He and I got really close. We would go to conferences and stuff and hang out together. And he and I stayed really close after he had moved when he finished his graduate program. And he was like a big brother to me. He was like super helpful. If I had a question, I could always go to him. Well, one day during, I guess it was my junior year, I had gotten out of a relationship and I was like all sad about it, you know, being mopey, not wanting to do anything. And he was like, You just need to download Tinder and not worry about it. Like, just get your life together. And I was like, I don't like any of the Oklahoma guys. They're just not my thing. And he was like, Why are you looking at guys on your Tinder? You're obviously gay. And I was like, what? I am not. And he was like, you talk about how hot girls are all the time. You don't like talking to dudes. You don't have the same connection that you do with like guys that you do with girls. Like it's, it's obvious that you are at least bi, like at the very least, like you don't even consider yourself like bi. And I was like, no, I just think girls are hot. And he's like, <laughs> Riley. Riley. You're so obviously gay. Like, what are you doing? And I came from a really supportive family. I went to a fine arts school in like middle school. And I was like always surrounded by like really strong LGBT like women. And it never crossed my mind. It was something that was just like, I was just a strong ally. I always see memes (laughs) about that. And I was like, I just was. I was the kind of person that was like, no, I have a rainbow flag because like my best friends are gay. Like I don't I'm not. And they're like, what? No. So finally he convinced me that I should at least look into if I was attracted to women in that way. So I was like, yeah, whatever. And so I like, put girls on my Tinder and the rest is history. I was like, as soon as I went on my first date with a girl, I was like, I'm never dating men again. <laughs> this is over. I obviously have a stronger connection with women. It's like all the pieces fell together. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is my life. So when I knew I was going to go to Florida, I was like, where's the best place to meet people that are super awesome? Um, The lesbian side of Bumble. So I... <laughs> bought the I don't even know it's like gold or whatever you pay like stupid amount of money a month to be able to move your location to wherever you want and they had a nice little free trial so I was like I'm not gonna need it very long I'll just use that free trial and I will just drop myself right over in Gainesville Florida and I'll just meet some super cool lesbians and it'll be awesome. And was not looking for a relationship. Was not looking for anything but to make friends with similar views. I mean, like, not being I was thinking maybe women are hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't like sitting there like, wow. But like, Florida's a different breed of attractive <laughs> women. That's. I was in Oklahoma, so there was like four lesbians for the entire state. And now I'm was looking at Florida, and I was like, oh my god, I'm not pretty enough to go here. I'm not <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't. This is wild. So pretty quickly into that, I made a really good friend with a person who lived about an hour away from Gainesville, and we just hit it off. We became really good friends. She would like text me and FaceTime me every day. We would like watch movies together. At first, we tried to use like the programs where you can like play a movie on one screen that like plays it on the other one too. But that got super complicated and we are not very tech savvy. So it it turned to us just being on the phone like, okay, you're at like 12.01. Okay, press start now. And We'd like try to sync up our TVs so we could like watch movies at the same time. We fell into this silly habit of buying the same bottle of wine. And once a week, we would just sit on FaceTime and drink that bottle of wine each and just like go on little dates it was fun it was different everything was just working out we were really close and yeah I mean the rest was history I I knew that I had made a connection with somebody that I had never made before and I was excited to see what would happen yeah and
0: what ended (laughs) up happening then now that you're in Florida you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we never got to meet because of travel restrictions. So when it came time for me to go to Florida, I was going to drive the full 15 hours in my car with most of my stuff and my cat. I have a seven-year-old Maine Coon Mix, who is one of my best friends, and she was definitely going to come with me but I was a little nervous traveling that far by myself. Thankfully, I had a really great friend in Florida (laughs) who was more than happy to put on her PPE and fly one way from the Jacksonville airport to Dallas-Fort Worth. And the first time that we met in person was me picking her up from the airport so that we could drive the 15 hours to Florida with my cat. And we like to tell people that that was our first date. (laughs) Because not long after that, we realized that if we wanted to see each other, we were gonna have to basically live together in order to, you know, keep the quarantine and social distancing we were like well we're going to want to be together all the time we might as well be in the same household <laughs> so we went from texas to florida to the house that i was going to live in and we moved in together <laughs> for our first date <laughs> that is such and that was 6 a months U-Haul ago story. <laughs> it is very u-haul story that was six months ago and it's been going great so far. A lot of people were like, oh my God, what if she was a murderer? I'm like, out of the two of us, with all that you know about me, which one sounds more like the murderer? Oh, totally the person it's- who's studying it. <laughs> right? I was like, how does she know I'm not a murderer? Like, we're both crazy for this. My mom was like, she has to send a photo of her ID. Like, I have to know she's real. Oh I'm my God. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. How did but, your family like take all of that? Were they like shocked? Were they supported? My, my, mom, my mom made a really good point. She was like, I would have been thrilled if I found out that you had found a roommate in Florida and you didn't tell me that y'all were in a relationship. I would have just been so excited that you found a roommate, that you found somebody that you felt comfortable with, that you wanted to live with. The fact that you were able to share that you are in a relationship and that you really like each other just means that you trust me and that I would never want to do anything that would make you think that you can't tell me something like that, something that's important to you. So she got a lot of questions from family members being like, oh my God, you're letting her move in with her girlfriend. And she's like, yeah, but she didn't have to tell me that she was gay. Like she didn't have to tell me that that's what this relationship was. I would have just blissfully assumed that they were just heterosexual roommates and (laughs) I would have been completely fine with it. I've lived with girls that I've just been friends with since I left for college. I mean, it wasn't going to be any different. So she definitely was really supportive once she thought of it that way. And once she was able to talk to people who were asking kind of the same questions she had at the beginning and being able to justify it in her own head and then be able to tell it to someone else was really helpful. It helped a lot of other people be a lot more comfortable with my relationship too. Most of my family was super, super supportive, but you always have the few that are like, what, what is this about? What is this? Who are you? What, how did you just suddenly become gay? And like all these things, because although I had dated women for the past couple of years, this was like the first time that I really felt comfortable coming out completely to everyone in my family. So this was the first relationship where I was not just talking about it to my mom and dad and and my brothers and I was able to really say like to cousins and aunts uncles grandparents those kind of things like no this is my partner this is who I am dating this is my girlfriend so that was it's not just oh this is my friend from college which it, <laughs> a couple of them have been introduced oh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah
0: have you watched the Kristen Stewart movie that just came out on Hulu no. Okay. Well, you should because that's the premise of it.
1: <laughs> that's so funny. No, that's super funny. Yeah. yeah, I'll definitely watch that. Is that the one with the character named Riley?
0: Yes. What's that movie? By Aubrey Plaza.
1: It's called The Happy oh. Season. Yes. Okay. I just see all these memes where it's like Riley should have ended up with somebody else. I won't spoil anything. <laughs> Well, I just see the memes and I'm like, why is my
0: name everywhere? <laughs> you should definitely watch it. It's really, it, it, was, a, it was a time.
1: Um, <laughs> so now you're living with your girlfriend of six months-ish, yeah? Yeah. So I, have you seen the TikTok where it's like, this is my hair wet, but not really. This is my hair wet, wet. And it's like, I think they use the audio to show like dogs that have been bathed before and after. So it's like a, a like a dog that's just like sitting in the bathtub and it's like a dog that's like soaking wet. No, I haven't have seen, you seen those. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, if you have there it's this audio of this boy in a pool and he's like this is my hair wet but not really. And then he like goes underwater and he's like this is my hair wet wet. So based on that video that we love because of the dogs that are put on it all the time, um, My girlfriend and I tell people that we met in March, but we met-met in June. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't actually meet until she came to Texas. So yeah, so that's when we (laughs) met-met. Yeah,
0: so now that you guys are living together, how will you navigate things if things don't end up working out, which I hope they do work out, but sometimes that kind of stuff happens. You get sick of each other, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we definitely went into this with the understanding that it doesn't have to. Like at first we really were like, if all goes south, like this is a two bedroom townhome, like we can go into separate rooms and be roommates if we need to. My parents were able to purchase this house here in Florida so that I could rent it from them while I'm living here. So the landlord situation was going to be pretty easy if we really did have an issue and the issue was mutual and it would be easy to get out of our lease considering it's my parents who are our landlords. So we kind of felt like it was kind of low risk, high reward situation. Like if it works out, it's going to be absolutely amazing and super fun and super perfect. If it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Um, we, we have a couple fail safes in place. Um, but thankfully, we both have um, really like our personalities just really mesh well together. We haven't had a lot of issues. I mean, beyond just the dishes or something like <laughs> who's going to do the dishes or who's going to do the laundry, those kind of things. But we communicate really well. So whenever something's bothering us, we are able to talk about it, which is just extremely important in any kind of relationship, but especially when you're cohabitating with your partner, being able to say like, I'm just in a bad mood. It's nothing that you did. I just want to be pouty for a little while. Um, It was super big for us because we both can be a little dramatic. And so sometimes I would get dramatic and she would take offense and be like, what did I do? I'm doing everything that I can. And it's like, okay, well, it's not you. It has nothing to do with you. This is just how I want to feel for a little while. And um being able to explain that to each other has been really helpful. Um and sometimes she'll say, I'm having me time and turn on what was she watching last night? It was a Hannah Montana concert (laughs) and she said I'm having me time and I said okay and I went and took a shower and had my me time so being able to do things on our own and then come together later and we're really big fans of cooking shows so we'll watch like Hell's Kitchen together and like have those moments where we get to be with each other we'll still go get two bottles of wine and drink our own bottle each uh for our little date night, but we still have those moments where it's just we're gonna have our alone time. And I think that was really important in allowing us to stay happy and healthy. Yeah,
0: for sure. I love that kind of communication. That's some really open communication and that seems like a really healthy relationship. So I'm proud of you. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Yeah, it definitely helps when I look back at some of my relationships in the past. And I definitely expected my partners to be mind readers. And honestly, I think the pandemic helped me a lot because I was forced to live 24-7 with my parents, which going from being my own person in college and being 22 years old and Wanting to live on my own, to suddenly going back into my high school bedroom and having to be eighteen again was was a little difficult. Um, but I was just very honest and what just communicated with my family and being like, "This is who I am. This is who I want to be." And it made it a lot easier when we came into a situation together. I just was like, we got to be really honest with each other, we have to communicate. And I mean, it's not always easy. There are definitely times when neither one of us knows what to say or how to say it or something, but we are able to eventually talk about it. And that's just really important. And it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Do you have any advice for people in kind of your situation, either where they had to move in, prematurely with their significant other or just to those who are stuck in long distance relationships just because of the situation right now?
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing for us was communication and I think it helped um, because I wasn't able to see her in person right away. A lot of our relationship was built on just being able to communicate effectively and Just making that a priority I think was just so helpful for both of us is that communication was really just the foundation of everything that we did. In long distance relationships, I really liked um, when we would have those nights that we would watch the same thing and drink the same thing. It was really hard to get our schedules together sometimes, but I mean, she would stay up a little bit later. I would start drinking wine a little bit earlier. Gosh, mine was so difficult. (laughs) we would just make sure that like we had those moments together where we felt connected and we felt close, even though we were so far away. And that really helped because I mean, everything was so up in the air. It was like, I didn't know when I was going to move. I didn't know when my position at UF was going to start. I didn't know gonna if I did move, if I was going to be able to see her. I mean, it was like, it was everything was up in the air for so long that it wasn't even like we were able to count down to a day or like have any sort of, reassuring moment it was like we have to just take it day by day and that was really stressful but I think it was really helpful for situations that we're in now because I mean we're not like counting down days for anything I mean it's just taking it day by day living our lives together and yeah I think that feeling connected from far away was really the most helpful part awesome I don't know if that made sense
0: yeah that totally made sense and I think that's great advice to everyone in a relationship or thinking about being in a relationship sometime in the future
1: yeah um, my number one advice would be fall in love with your cat first <laughs> and then make your new significant other love your cat definitely that's what I did and it worked out <laughs> great me and, me and Paisley lucked out with my girlfriend she's a great stepmom
0: So, before we end this conversation today, do you have any closing thoughts, any social media you want to plug?
1: Yeah. So, if you are interested in learning about the link between animal abuse and abuse against humans, the Link Coalition is super important. Really great resource. They have a lot of really fun infographics about how dangerous (laughs) it is um, for animals and people. And then if you are a student and you're interested in forensics, there's a student membership to the International Veterinary Forensics Association. It's super great. They always have really amazing conferences with people from the animal forensics side, from human forensics, animal forensics, From law enforcement, ASPCA—I mean, it's like anything and everything—and it's not that expensive to be a student member. My social media is at Riley Yates, but there's only one Y, which throws people off. But it's the just R I L E Y A T E S. There's no need for the double Y; just smoosh them together.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much. Hi, Paisley.
1: Yeah, Paisley's like all into the camera.
0: Well, thanks, Riley, for chatting with me and bringing Paisley along for the yeah. ride. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. And once again, folks, that was Riley Yates. Thank you, Riley, for chatting with me, and thank you for listening. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can follow our Twitter or our Instagram at LGBTQSTEMCAST. You can also support us financially on our Patreon or our Coffee. All the links to those are in our link tree at linktr.ee lgbtqstemcast. We hope that you're having a wonderful year so far, and we will see you on the STEMcast next week.